This is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. I'm a speaker and a career and executive coach. And today, I welcome Therese Houston to the show. Therese will talk about how to make effective feedback your superpower. Therese, I am so thrilled to have you on the show today, and I can't wait to unpack this juicy conversation. Thank you so much, Caroline. It is a real treat to be here. Well, I am delighted. You know, feedback is such an important thing. And when I um, read the copy of your book, I was just over the moon because I think this is a critical skill and as you call a superpower that we just don't do enough in the workforce. But I want to go back, right? Because there's a really cool uh, McKinsey and Company and and Lean In uh, have published their Women in the Workplace study in 2020. And they find that there is an alarming one in four women who are considering downshifting or leaving the workforce altogether because of COVID-19. So, you know, how can managers make sure that they're giving women on their teams the support and encouragement they need without sugarcoating their feedback? Because clearly there's a disconnect here. One in four women, that's huge. It's huge. Yeah. When I read that report and, you know, your, your listeners can check it out online. It's disturbing um, that one in four women are either going to downshift or leave the workforce altogether. What a huge loss for corporate America. Right. Um, so, Caroline, a, a couple of things that that managers can be doing, especially with so many people working remotely. Um, and this is true for all of your employees. Um, but but given that we know that women are are bearing the brunt of household responsibilities and childcare responsibilities and they're feeling like they're they're you know working double shifts more than ever so a couple of things so um, first of all to be to be checking in with employees again all employees but especially the women on your team how are how are, how are you doing um, uh, what's what's stressful for you now but to be but to be give people the opportunity, the space to raise issues that they're running into. Um, and also to be acknowledging hard work. I think a lot of us were doing this at the beginning of the pandemic, where we were saying, you know, I see you putting in the extra effort. I, you know, I see you sending emails after dinner. I'm really grateful for your extra hard work. But it, I, for a lot of managers, I'm hearing that it's dropping off now, that they've kind of moved uh, moved on. And now this is the new normal. Uh, but we still need to be acknowledging the extra work people put in. Uh, I've I've done research um, on people's most stressful feedback experiences, and one of the things they say would have made the difference, the number one thing that people said would have made a difference in that feedback experience was if their manager had just acknowledged their hard work. Wow. So that's a small thing. Any of us can do it, right? I'm not saying that you you know you need to do it every conversation, um, but if you're not acknowledging people's hard work at least once a week, um, I'll, I'll bet there are people who need to hear it. Yeah. And I appreciate your nod to the pandemic stress because I think the boundaries have been blurred, especially since many of us are are still working from home out of necessity. And, and right. there are overworking issues, right? People are, are not separating work and home. And I think often managers are expecting people to be more available. Would you agree? 
I do think so. I, you know, and it's really interesting. Microsoft released a study uh, here towards the end of the summer. Um, I don't know how many of your your listeners are managers, but but they're finding that managers, especially, have been hit hard. That managers are putting in an extra eight hours a week compared to their work lives before the pandemic, um, and a lot of that is collaborations. That you know, you're getting on Teams or you're getting on Zoom to, to check in with people, whereas before, you know, you used to just walk by their desk. So we're, we are juggling um, a lot with our work. So if you're a manager, especially, you're probably putting more hours in than you used to. And then you've got the extra stress um, of, it, I, I don't know, I don't know what, what part of the country are you in, Caroline? I'm in the Midwest. Yes. You're in the Midwest. Midwest. Okay, great. So I'm in Washington State. We every All teaching is remote here. Um, and uh, I don't know what it's like for most of your listeners, but, and I, and I know in a lot of other countries outside of the U.S., your kids have gone back to school, but in a lot of parts of the United States, you still have kids at home. And so parents are feeling overwhelmed. Um, they still don't have uh, the childcare opportunities or resources that they used to. So the, the, the things that they used to lean on to be able to get their work done has been removed. There are a lot of ways in which there's extra work to be done and extra stress. Plus, for so many of us, right, our gyms are closed. We can't go to the yeah. gym to <laughs> reduce right. our stress, right? And we tried to buy weights at Target and they were out of weights, so we don't have our workouts. Um, it's it's a really, uh, it's it's hard. We don't have our usual coping mechanisms or our usual support systems in place. So a lot of, lot of different ways in which there's more pressure. So, Therese, let's get to the heart of, of your expertise, and that is giving professional feedback. I find that we don't talk about this enough in organizations. Very rarely are managers and leaders trained how to give feedback, which is why your book is so very important. But let's unpack that. Why is giving feedback important, and why is it often done so poorly? It is so important and it's so it's so fascinating to me the number of horror stories I've heard where people didn't get feedback for a year and then at annual performance review time, I actually had one person tell me his boss got a binder off of her shelf and she said, so last February you said this. And in March, wow. you did this in a meeting. And he's like, where did this come from? Why didn't you tell me? You know, I could have been working on this all year. Um, so all too often. And, and part of that's the dread that managers have about feedback conversations, at least when there's critical things to be said. There's one national study in the United States showing that 37% of managers, so more than one in three, dread critical feedback conversations if they think the other person is going to be disappointed by the news. And managers I've interviewed, Caroline, think that number is grossly underreported. They think it's probably closer to 50%. So if you're in that group, if you're someone who dreads giving feedback, know that it's really important. First of all, it establishes trust and mutual understanding with the person that you're giving feedback to because you care enough to tell them, look, I, I expect great work from you. I know you can be doing better. And so if you are showing that you care and you're letting that person know, here are the different ways that I can see you achieve even more at work. I know you can succeed. Um, that that establishes a lot of trust and good rapport. It's also, it, it increases the efficiency of everyone on your team. If you've got someone who's underperforming, chances are there are other people on the team who are compensating and having to do extra work. I don't know if you've ever been on a team where you've got someone who's slow to turn work in, and then the rest of the team is slow to do their work, or they're working extra hard to compensate for Amy, who's slow to turn things in, or whoever it might be. So we've all been there. I, I've even I interviewed one man. I interviewed one employee. Sorry, not a manager, but the employee was frustrated because every time there was an employee who did something wrong, instead of having a direct feedback conversation because their, their manager tended to avoid these things, there would be a new policy in place. 
right? So picture this. Now there's a new policy. We all have to do it this way simply because um, Lewis is not doing the right thing. But instead of having a conversation with Lewis, all the rest of us now have an extra 20-minute thing we have to do every day. So there are so many ways in which um, acquiring feedback as a skill leads to better productivity. Plus, it leads to more trust, more mutual understanding. And people feel good when they do great work. They love to do great work. You know, I, I sense too, because in reading your book, I, I really appreciated your nod to the different generations and, and how they receive or or give feedback. And and we know that our, our millennials, our emerging leaders, many of them are already in leadership roles, really crave that feedback. And indicators, early research is showing that Gen Z following them, you know, that are just entering the workforce really value that as well. So what does that tell the world of work, right? How do we need to adapt to that? And you're you're so right. It's interesting. There have been studies showing that compared to older generations, compa- compared to boomers or Gen X, um, Gen Z and millennials want feedback more often. So for, for those of you who are wondering, we're talking about once a week that they want they want to. I want to check in and find out how they're doing. Some of you may be thinking, oh my goodness, that's absurd. That's so much more frequently than I want to be giving feedback. Um, but there are, there are two things there. One, there might be a generational difference in terms of um, millennials and Gen Z being really used to uh, recognition for their work. And so they want reassurance that, yes, I'm on track. But there's another issue there, Carolyn, and I think this is one we tend to forget. And that is that when you're, when you're in your 20s, you're not sure what you're good at yet, right? <laughs> I mean, you know. You know, you, yeah. you know, perhaps what, and you're just even discovering what you like to do, but you're not really sure looking around, am I better at something than my peers? Because you're, you're relatively new at work life. And so I think that the, most of us, when we were in our twenties, I'm in, I'm in my early fifties now, but when I was in my twenties, I probably wanted more feedback, but didn't feel I had permission to ask for it. And I think that's one thing that's different about millennials and Gen Z is that they do feel emboldened to ask for the feedback. And I probably would have benefited from it too in my twenties and was just a little too meek to ask. Hey, thanks for being honest. I appreciate that. I really do. Uh, we'll be right back, Therese, after a quick break. Your working life is powered by your stories. We want to hear more from our listeners about your experiences in the workplace. Tell us what challenges you've overcome or tips you've learned along the way. And even better, if you don't have the answers, let us know what issues you want to know more about. We want this podcast to serve all of your working life needs. Send me an email at caroline at carolinedowdhiggins.com. You know, I am someone who really values that developmental feedback. And I, too, am Generation X in my early 50s. And, I, I you know, I'm smiling. We're on a podcast. But I, I, I put myself in the, the story that you told, right? Early on in my career, I was afraid to ask for it. So I think that's a very important lesson to the leaders and the managers who were in the position of, of giving feedback. You talk about the feedback sandwich. Would you unpack that? Because some of our listeners may know what that is, but others may not. And and you talk about how research shows that this really does work. It's a good technique. 
I am, I am, I have a huge smile on my face. For those of you who aren't familiar with the feedback sandwich, so this was really popular in corporate circles, uh, maybe a decade ago, maybe two decades, decades ago, and it, and now people like to denigrate it. There are some some bad phrases out there that I just won't repeat, but but other names for the feedback sandwich, and uh, the notion here is um, the traditional idea is you say something positive, then you say something critical, and then you end on something positive, and um, this was a popular framework, like I said, for giving feedback for. A a while and now it's much more common for people to say, "Oh, this is this is a tired framework. People know that the negative is coming." Plus, all too often managers are pretty superficial about that first comment. So that first positive piece of praise might be something like, "Caroline, you were on time today," right? <laughs> You're like, "Oh my gosh!" At a bare minimum, of course, right? Um, and the, but then they get into the very very specific hard piece of feedback, and it's and it's a, there's a big disconnect. Um, what researchers have found, uh, the one in particular that I'm thinking of is Leslie John at Harvard Business School. She's a management professor. Um, she was really curious: does it make a difference in terms of the sequence of how you give feedback? And and they've done a, studies. This is cutting edge research. It's not actually even published yet. At, at the time, at least we're doing the recording. It's not published. And what she has found is that it does make a difference, but the entire sandwich isn't so important. And that, in that, and and by that I mean that if you start with praise and then you move to criticism, people will pay much more attention and think that the criticism is more valid than if you start with a criticism um, or if you um, just a, if you try to just say something nice that's generic and then move into the criticism. But if you give really specific praise, that's, you know, so in, in the research study that um, John did, they were having people draw bears. I don't know if you play Pictionary, Caroline, but bears are hard to draw. They're they kind of are. Blocking, right. They are. They're hard. And so she gave, uh, she and her team gave feedback to people on the quality of their drawing. And first they would say, you know, you did, you know, you had a re here, here's something that I liked about your work. You didn't have, you didn't erase very much and you had, you you were bold with your lines, um, but here's one thing that you could do that would improve the drawing of your bear. So they started with something very specific, very personal, um, not personal in terms of person personality, but personal in terms of it's specific to their work. It's not generic, right? And then got into a criticism. And what they found is when they varied the order, if they just started with the criticism or they played with the, the, the feedback sandwich, that people um, thought, well, you know, what do you know? If you didn't start with a compliment, they, they thought that people weren't paying enough attention to their work, that they were just giving generic feedback. Whereas if you gave a genuine piece of praise first, it improved the listener's ability to take in the critical feedback. So this is great news for those of us who are managers that there is, there's something redeeming about at least part of the feedback sandwich, <laughs> maybe not the whole thing. Oh, she found at the, at the end, it didn't matter what you said. It didn't matter if you ended with praise or ended on a criticism. So that last piece of the feedback sandwich, you don't need to end with praise, but just make it really specific praise. Don't make it generic, make it specific and make it related to what you're about to raise a concern about. So obviously you're not going to give people feedback on their drawings of bears at work, but you might say something like, uh, you know, in your presentation yesterday, um, when we were in that Zoom call, I thought you did a really great job showing that you'd done your research, right? You'd clearly done your homework. You had more data than I expected you to have. Um, and that really showed you're, you're, you're knowledgeable. But the concern that I have is that you gave maybe too much data and people might have zoned out, right? So now, like, I'm really paying attention as a listener. Like, oh, I hadn't noticed that they'd zoned out, right? But now we get into a conversation about how I'd have better judgment in the future. 
I'm so glad that you talked about specificity. I, I have a, a coaching client. I will, uh, I will honor confidentiality and not name this sure. person, but, but sure. give you the scenario, which is probably relatable to many people out there, in, including myself. And, and her manager said, good job, keep doing what you're doing. And this, this person didn't know what to do with that because the manager didn't even identify what good things were happening, right? So that specificity right. is so important. I'm, I'm just so happy that you mentioned that. But Therese, let's get to the hard stuff, right? What about sure. when there's real developmental feedback that is tough to deliver? What is the wisdom or what's the, the one nugget that you want to share with this global audience to empower them to deliver this in a way that's going to land and help the recipient know that it's for their, their growth and development? Great. Would it be okay if I gave two nuggets? You oh, yeah. Them, but I, please, I can please. Give you two. They're, they're really worth both knowing. So, so the first nugget um, would, you know, you've got hard feedback, but the person really needs to hear it in order to improve or to have the impact they want to have. So the first one would be listen first, give feedback later. Right. This is one of my mottos. And the idea here is all too often when we have feedback, we have rehearsed in our head how we're going to say it. And we go into the conversation and after pleasantries, how are you doing? Great. We, we launch into, hey, so here's a concern that I had. And here's and, and we just go right into it without asking first, you know, how did you think that presentation went? Or, um, you know, looking back on last week, did you, did you think that the deadlines were reasonable, whatever it might be, but ask that other person how they thought things went. How do you think that you're doing? And listen first. Research shows that people are much more receptive and think you're a better feedback giver if you just take that one step of asking first. So listen first, feedback later. So that's number one. And it will, again, make the other person much more receptive to whatever you have to say. And the second nugget here would be state your good intentions. If you're about to say something you think is going to be hard for the other person to digest or hear, the first one key step you can do is say, I want good things for you. I want to see you succeed. I want to see how much, I want other people to see your potential. There, you, Any one of these lines, I'm not saying you say all three, right? But you, any right. one of those are, are great ways to set the other person up for, I, the reason I'm saying this isn't simply because I'm nitpicky and because I'm a perfectionist or whatever it might be. I'm saying this because I care about you and I want to see you succeed. And, and research again by Leslie John at Harvard University, she's done some other studies that show that simply saying, I have good intentions, I have good intentions, I want good things for you. Saying that before you deliver bad news makes the other person much more receptive to the bad news. Um, they're less defensive, they like you more. You might be thinking, I don't care if people like me, Therese. Um, but if someone has more liking for you, they're much more receptive to the bad news and, and they won't just brush it off. So those are the two nuggets. Um, one is to listen first and two, state your good intentions. Excellent, excellent techniques. You know, I was I was so grateful that in the book you write about underrepresented minorities. And let's just look at a, a U.S. perspective. This might include Native American, African American, Black, Latino, and Hispanic employees. And what you've unearthed is that they receive more feedback on their personal attributes and less feedback on their competency in comparison to their white employees. And this is a huge problem, right? So what are some initial steps that managers and organizations at large can take to put an end to this? This is racial disparity. 
It is. And it's really fascinating because uh, thanks, thanks for taking such a close look at the book. I really appreciate that. There, There's research out of University of San University of California at San Francisco, showing that when um, people are giving praise to uh, different groups, they're more likely to praise the intelligence and competency of their white and Asian American uh, employees. And in this case, this was in medical school. So Asian American employees were in the majority in that case, whereas the groups that were underrepresented, like you said, were the black um, employees, as well as the um, Native American, Latinx employees. And what they found is that for those groups, the underrepresented groups, exactly as you said, they focused on their personal qualities. They'd said how nice they were and how pleasant yeah. and open. And uh, yeah, those are nice things. I'm not saying you don't want to be told you're nice and pleasant, but you're um, much more likely to get a promotion if you're called impressive, sophisticated, thorough. And those were the words used for white and Asian Americans. So what can you do? So here, I want to I want to ask people to do do the hard thing, you know, maybe close your door or, or simply, you know, bring up the file privately on your computer and take a look at your last performance reviews and compare. Look carefully at the language you use. Did you fall into that pattern? It would be inadvertent, inadvertent. I'm not saying that you're racist, but we all have unconscious bias and you might have found yourself praising people differently. So take a look. Some of the words to look for, um, knowledgeable, impressive, thorough, sophisticated, those were words that were used for um, groups in the majority um, and groups in the um, underrepresented minorities. Again, referring to personality characteristics, open, pleasant, kind. Um, and like I said, those are nice things, but they're not gonna get people promotions the way the other set of, of praise does. Such a good teachable moment. And and you're right. That's that's why we call it unconscious bias. And I think we all have an opportunity to learn and to improve. So thank you for sharing that. So Teresa, as we wrap up, you know, we're still in this virtual abnormal, as I call it. Everybody's talking about the the new normal, but I don't think there's anything normal about it. It's it's bizarre, and we're learning how to navigate through this pandemic around the world. So how about virtual feedback? Do you do you always suggest eye contact? You know, do you want cameras on on Zoom or Skype or whatever the platform is? Or is there a preferred method when you're giving feedback? Oh, you have landed on a key issue. I actually wrote an, an article about this for Fast Company um, that, that came out uh, this, this past fall. So this is fascinating, right? I don't know about you, but I would have assumed that, of course, you want eye contact, right? That you want to be on a Zoom or a Teams call or, or whatever the plat- WebEx, whatever your platform that you might use at work, that you want to be able to see the person. But there's actually great research out of Yale University. This is so, a couple years old, but it's still applicable, um, where what the researcher found was that um, if what you need to do is you need to be reading the other person's emotions, let's say you have hard feedback and you're not sure how the other person is going to take it, it would be actually more effective for you to do a phone call rather than a video call. Um, And a couple reasons for this. I've I've interviewed a bunch of managers and they've made similar observations that if they need to brainstorm and problem solve, if if someone's um, facing Make, make, made a mistake and now needs to correct that mistake and they need to brainstorm problem solve with them. You know, the phone is easier because you can move around, you can think as opposed to like being stuck in front of your computer. But, but the other part, what this researcher found is we actually read people's emotions more accurately when we can't see them. And this is contradictory. So many of us are used to like, well, but I need to be able to see people. Body language communicates so much. But think about it, Caroline. I don't know about you, but, you know, if I were to say, um, pretend that you're angry, give me the body language 
language for angry. You know what to do, right? You know to cross your arms, right? <laughs> you, right. You, you, know, you know what to do with your face. And you know if you're trying to pretend that you're open to something, you wouldn't cross your arms and you would keep your face placid. We're very good at controlling our physical responses to communicate what we want. And so people can send mixed signals. They can be angry about your feedback, but they know not to cross their arms and they know not to crinkle up their eyebrows. Um, but we don't hide it as well in our voices, right? We don't know. I don't know about you, but I don't know how to like hide irritability in my voice, what exactly my voice does. And so what they found is that people are actually much more accurate at reading someone's true emotions if they only hear their voice, because we don't mask our emotions as well. And so you'll get a better read on, is this person, is this person okay with the feedback? Are they frustrated? Are they deeply discouraged? Um, and you'll have an easier time than being able to pivot and support that person through the experience if you just heard their voice. Whereas if you can see them, you're probably going to get mixed signals and you'll think, well, I guess that went okay after all. And you might be wrong. That is so helpful because you're right. I was in the other camp. I would have assumed wrongly that that visual component was essential. So thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've, I've talked with some people who, who say they wouldn't want to give this advice to some of their managers because they know their managers are trying to avoid helping the person. Anyhow, they, you know, they have some managers who would rather just, uh, you know, shrug off this conversation. And so they would do the phone as a way to kind of get out of the hard parts. But if you're a manager who really cares about your employees and really does want to help the person through the experience, you're going to be able to more accurately read and support them if you do it over the phone. Plus there's also the issue. I've had some managers say they've had employees cry with really mm. hard feedback. Um, it's, you know, it's hard to cry with your manager under any circumstances, but it'd be especially hard to cry on camera, right? right. It's a little, yeah. You know, um, you, you, can ha- you can have a less awkward experience if you're, if you're not visual. All good points. Therese, I learned so much from you today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I want to tell our global audience about your incredible new book. It's called Let's Talk. And it's available on Amazon and at all major book retailers. Thanks for sharing your wisdom and expertise with me and with this global audience today, Therese. And I wish you great success with the new book. Thank you so much, Caroline. It's been a real treat. And if you like the show, subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud. And now we're on Spotify. And even better, leave us a review. And here's why. This helps new audience members find us online. Let me know what career-minded issues you would like for me to feature on a future show. You can find me on Twitter at C. Dowd Higgins. And a special thanks to my podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. Thanks for listening.